Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of The New Standard. As always, joining me on the show, we have my co-host, Neil Kulong. What's up, Neil? Uh, not a whole lot. Just uh, enjoying a Sunday, getting ready for uh, getting ready for the work week and starting to really knuckle down into the draft. It's a, it's a great time of the year. I love this stuff. You're looking bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. The cheeks look a little rosy. You look a little fresh and ready to go on this Sunday. Got some got some sun yesterday. It was a, a eighty degree day here in the Berg. Um, got to get outside a bit. Um, yeah, nothing nothing extensive. I'm just I, I'm excited really more than anything. My brother uh, commented the same thing about the weather in Pittsburgh. He's on the links today, so he's excited about being able to get back out there and go golfing. Before we jump into the show, I want to let you know you can find the show on Apple Podcasts. You can find it on Spotify. You can also find it on Google Podcasts and all of your podcast platforms. And also, you can find the show if you want to check us out live on YouTube. Go to YouTube and do a search for Lance Williams and do a search for The New Standard, Neil Kulong or Lance Williams, and you can find the show. I think it just kind of hit us because at the time, this is the appropriate time to do it. We're going to do a lot of draft content. But again, this show is going to be more topical than some of your other shows. Now, hopefully a little bit later in the month, we're going to do a mock of some sort. We have some stuff in the works. Hopefully we'll be able to do that. We'll do a mock for you as we get into the draft. Cause, cause correct me if I'm wrong, draft the Neil's the, the draft is three days now. It's three days, right? Three days, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, um, late night, Thursday, and then all day, excuse me, it's four days. Um, you have uh, rounds, you know what, Lance? I don't even know what I'm talking about. This is how excited I am for it. <laughs> Thursday night and then Friday night and then all day Saturday. That's what yeah. I'm trying to say. Yeah. Three days of the yeah. draft. Yeah, they changed it and and they, and they moved the cities. The NFL does a good job of reinventing the same content, making it seem new and remarketing it and making it even more popular. So kudos to the NFL for that. On this particular show, last week we talked about, about – um, you know, different draft stuff, but we're going to do a little flip on it um, this week. Uh, there's a question we did not answer from last week that I want to jump into, but the topic of this particular show is what are the biggest factors for the Steelers when they draft? And this is kind of what we alluded to last week when we were talking about an algorithm or the most Im important factors or elements that the Steelers look at when they make a draft pick. And, we're going to jump into five different ones, and we're going to try to weight the importance of each of those characteristics when they make a draft pick and if they alter as we go through the rounds. So the first thing that me and Neil pointed out, and we alluded to a little bit last week, was something called spark or athleticism. And we also talked about how – athleticism relates to how they make a draft pick and just how important it is. Now, one of those metrics is spark and, and, and there are other components um, and other things that people do in regards to spark in terms of measuring the athleticism of a particular player. Neil break down spark. And before you do that, listener spark stands for speed, power, agility, reaction, and quickness. Now, this is our guess as to how this factors in in terms of what the Steelers are doing. There's no way for us to be able to tell you exactly if they're using Spark. But I think what we've determined 
after looking at a couple of things that metrics like RAS and like Spark are definitely factoring into the picks that they make. Break down Spark and how you think the Steelers are using it, Neil. Yeah, just for Spark, some some clarity on that. What uh, <clears throat> what happened was Nike created a, a composite measurement to evaluate. Uh, I, I believe it was high school athletes getting ready to go to college. Um, they they used that as a performance uh, measurement, a standard to say uh, this player excels in these areas. So if, if they're not good in these areas, we need to work on this kind of thing. It, it was a development tool. Uh, my understanding of it was, and that this is something that was adapted by a gentleman named Zach Whitman um, a few years back. He was a, a big Seahawks fan. And the word was that the Seahawks used uh, a proprietary version of Spark, which was adapted for them and emphasized the things that they looked for. You might remember the Legion of Boom, not only were they guys that were drafted uh, fairly low, um, relative, certainly relative to their success, but the, the commonality they all had was they were big. Uh, they were long, athletic players. That's what Seattle emphasized. That's what they were looking for. That was a component of um, the overall idea that they want players of a certain uh, athletic athletic profile, if you will. So they adjusted a formula to, to rate players and the players that they took in all seemed to score particularly high in this. What Whitman did was kind of try to reverse engineer um, what that formula was based on the, the testing scores of the players that, that Seattle had drafted. So the method that he used was not necessarily uh, exactly what the, the proprietary version of spark would be, but he was able to take uh, the, the general nature of it and create uh, a version of spark that he then applied to all draft picks coming in and gave them scores. Uh, really the idea here is not to get buried in the weeds over what it is exactly. The idea here is to accept that there appears to be some type of composite uh, um, measurement of athleticism that the Steelers and probably every team uses. What that measurement is exactly, I think is, is arbitrary. I, I, that, that's not overall important to what we're trying to do. What I know is um, for the Steelers, if you look at Spark, uh, their players in the, 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 really since Jarvis Jones, who was a complete disaster when it came to athleticism, and we all see that now, some of us saw that on draft night, unfortunately it wasn't the Steelers. Since that time though, the Steelers in the first round have taken uh, highly athletic players. Ryan Shazier is one of the highest spark rated athletes that have come through the draft. Uh, Bud Dupree was up there as well. Artie Burns wasn't the best, but he was definitely above average. Um, uh, uh, TJ Watt scored very high. Terrell Edmonds scored very high. Uh, looking into this show as well, Lance, one thing I looked up, uh, a, a new one that's out now. Um, I, I forget the name of the guy that, that runs it, but uh, relative athletic score, RAS, um, looking back, the Steelers picks um, on a scale of, of uh, one through 10 to the hundredth decimal, uh, which is to say 10.00 is the highest score you can get. The Steelers last several draft picks have scored very highly in this as well. Chase Claypool was a 9.98 last year as a second round pick, which was the, the fourth highest score of the class, the entire class, not just receivers. Um Devin Bush was a 9.33, which is definitely very, uh, very high above average. Not the best in his class, but very high. Um, Terrell Edmonds, 9.89. That was top 20 in his class. 
TJ Watt, 9.92, and, and so on. You go down the list. What, what it's showing is a, a clear and obvious profile the Steelers have created to include high-level athletes in their draft decision. They're not taking Jarvis Jones in the first round anymore. Uh, we're all happy for that. I think this gets brought up at least 50 times every draft season. They're, they're bringing in athletes, and that's intentional. Um, whatever measurement they're using to determine that, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm sure it's their own system, but it's probably not far off of what um, what these systems are measuring, which is really just your, your general athleticism and your explosiveness. That's your, your vertical jump, your broad jump, your 40-time um, measurement can, you know, height and weight can come into that as well. As we all know, Chase Claypool was, was a, a physically a, a close comparable to, to Calvin Johnson. Um, things like that. They're, they're, they're taking a lot of things into account and it's obvious the Steelers want to boost athleticism, uh, on their roster with their first round pick. And they've stuck very true to that since at least, uh, 2014. Let's give some love and some credit for the guy who who created that metric. His name is Kent Lee Plate. I believe that's how you pronounce his name. And if you guys want to look up real athletic score, just go to real relative, excuse me, relative athleticscores.com. And to Neil's point, here are some of the factors in that metric. Height, weight, 40-yard dash, 20-yard split, 10-yard split, bench press, vertical jump, broad jump. 5, 10, 15, 5 shuttle, 3 cone drill, and you put the position in, and then you can get your relative athletic score. To that point, break it down for us, Neil. We talked about last week, and if you guys didn't check out the show last week, you have to check out what, what we're going to talk about right now about the buckets, how the Steelers create the buckets for the players, and how those buckets rate in terms of What's the most priority when they're going into the draft? So give me an example of how the Steelers might use RAS or Spark. If you have two particular players, let's say everything is is the same given uh, every component is the same until we get to Spark or till we get to RAS. We'll just use those as the arbitrary measurements. How do you think the Steelers would use each one of those numbers to differentiate between the players and potentially pick one over the other? I, I think that's as simple as taking whichever one would have if there was a demonstrative difference between the two. You know, if a guy has 9.89, the other one has seven something, I, th I think their right. choice is obvious. What I would challenge with that, though, Lance, is I think the, the primary bucket for the Steelers is that athletic score. Uh, they're taking every prospect and putting them into this measurement system and cutting it off at a certain point. We're right. not going to draft these guys unless they score to this point. This is how a, a decision-making matrix would exist in this environment. And the main thing is I want people to throw out the idea that they have a, a straight line, single column, one through 275, ranking every player who's eligible for the draft. They don't do that. That, that makes everything impossible. You have to narrow it down. I what I'm saying, and I, I don't have any specific intelligence outside of the fact that I know there are teams in the NFL that that compile what they refer to as their draft board this way, even though it's not really a board. The idea is they want to create one filter first. From that, they create another filter, then another. Uh, weighing in all of the different things, you're looking for the best overall choice that you can make. And these decisions are being made based on not just their physical attributes and their athleticism, but uh, other components as well. I feel uh, simply because of the age of the players that the Steelers have drafted, that's a component. 
Um, they really don't draft many guys that are younger than 22 or they just turned uh, 22 not too long ago. They don't take 23-year-olds for all you Najee Harris fans. Uh, they look for youth. Uh, Marquise Pouncey, um, Devin Bush uh, – excuse me, not Devin Bush. Um, uh, it, it helped me out. There was another 20-year-old that they drafted fairly recently. Uh, Shazier, I think, had just turned 21. Juju was really young. Juju was – yeah, Juju was a second-round pick, was a 20-year-old. Um, the, the young players are guys that, you know, get to be uh, maybe too um, – still to a point where they can still grow athletically by the time they hit their extension. So they can get a, a full uh, value from them. They also look at uh, what seems to be anyway, power five competition. Just, we know that because they've drafted a power five school guy every year since Ben back in 2004. So um, I, I feel the athletic measurement is the most obvious. It's the most consistent characteristic that their first round picks from 2014 to now have had. And we don't really have any reason to think they're going to go against that uh, anytime in the future as well, because duh, athleticism is a key component to, to success within the NFL. You don't need to be a Ryan Shazier. You don't need to be a Bud Dupree Olympic level athlete. Who's also, you know, ginormously large, but it, it's tough to play if you're not a good athlete. Call this the Jarvis Jones theory. It should be obvious to everybody, but it wasn't to the Steelers, and that was a significant problem. They couldn't get him to play as much as they tried. They drafted um, – if we want to get into production as well, I think that bleeds into uh, Power 5 competition. Most of these guys have some starting experience in college. That waxes and wanes a little bit. I don't know how set they are to that. Terrell Edmonds did not have great uh, collegiate experience, but the guy was a freak athlete. T.J. Watt did not have great collegiate experience. He's a great athlete. Um, those components, I think, are are less like production uh, in school. Maybe are are less of a factor overall than uh, really your your four overall your four primary things. If you look at athleticism, um, your production, your age, and your school, and then add in what's probably the the biggest of all your position of need. So if if you filter out the the undesirable athletes of the guys that you have graded uh, in the first round, and then you look at the positions that they play, you narrow it down even more. Um, teams do not look at a board and say, after all of this, well, this guy's at this position, this is the one that I want. They plan out well in advance the positions they're going to address and the, the type of priority they're going to make that, a round grade, if you will. Um, if, if they evaluate the center position to say that there are four centers in this draft, who are first round prospects, then, you know, if, if that's a priority, that's probably a good bet that that's where they're going to go, depending on uh, how the draft will play out. I don't believe that's the case. I'm just saying uh, whatever position it is, um, doing it this way creates a, a system in which what's available matters more than what the opinions are of five, six people uh, weighing in on it. You, you could grade 19 first round prospects and not need any of them. You have to draft somebody in the first round. Um, and if your plan was to address the position with this round of a pick, you're going to follow through on that plan. I get that that's not going to be a popular suggestion, but that's group decision-making. And yes, it can be frustrating. This is how things kind of work in a, a committee approach. But when a team is paying upwards of 25 people to compile information uh, and all of them weigh in on it, you need to come up with the best decision that you can make with all of that information in mind. It's not as simple as Kevin Colbert deciding on his own, he's going to take this guy or at the very least that kind of thinking 
might have gone out the door with Al Davis. You know, it doesn't really work that way overall. The Steelers have stuck true to the idea that athletes are what they want to prioritize. And then from there, it seems to me, uh, position of need is something you and I might have differing opinions on. And Kevin Colbert might think something completely different because they have a plan in mind. They want to emphasize this position now because they're going to do something with it down the line. Then you get into the individual player. Um, I don't want to act as if this process is completely scientific because it's not. When you get five or six guys after you've narrowed all this down and you look at positions of need to narrow it down to maybe three, how do you make that one decision? That's kind of bang on the table time. You know, if, if you've got people arguing different things back and forth, at some point somebody needs, needs to make a decision. And it could be for a gut feeling. It could be for... We absolutely love talking to this kid. He's going to fit in like a glove here. This is, you know, he's perfect for what we do. Fans freak out then because generally speaking, 19 guys on Twitter have a mock draft that shows he should be drafted 34th overall and not 24th. At that point, what's the difference? You've narrowed it down. He's checked every box that you want in a first round pick. He's a position that you need and you really liked him. That to me sounds like a good pick. And frankly, yeah. if you look at the Steelers' track record over the last 20 years, there are busts in there. Every team has them. I know who Artie Burns is. You don't need to point it out. I got it. But they have a, a, a sound decision-making logic behind the players that they pick. And Artie Burns is absolutely the exception and not the norm. So you know, it one works. Thing that, one thing I'd like to say about busts is – I think where fans make a mistake when it comes to busts is that, first of all, the process isn't guaranteed. You know, it's not guaranteed when you're selecting individuals and trying to predict if they're going to have success because there's so many factors to that success outside of football as well. It's just very difficult to hit it. I think where you feel comfortable is if you follow your process. I think where the problems come in is I'm sure there are teams – that have a process that's pretty well laid out. And then when they get to the 11th hour, they deviate from the process and then make a pick that's outside of that. And then the pick goes wrong. And then they second guess themselves because they didn't trust their process. I think teams want to obviously get good picks, but I think they're comfortable. Most comfortable. I should say if they follow their process, and then what they would do if they find themselves missing picks, and this is what you find in corporate America, if you're listening to the show and you're a corporate America, what, what a good corporation will do, will it won't focus on individuals. It'll focus on the process that was used to select individuals. That's exactly right. I mean, that's, exactly how you, right. that's how you get it right. You can always get the individual wrong. You accept that. But what you have to do is tweak your process. One thing I wanted to, to ask, and I think you kind of answered it, in terms of like Spark or RAS, relative athletic score, how important is that as you go through the rounds? We see that it's very important in the first round. But let's say you're in a in a fifth round pick. I mean, my thought is, you know, you got like an extra, you know, you got three fifth round picks. At that point, you know, from my perspective, I'm like, look, I'm really trying to go RAS or I'm trying to go Spark because I don't know if this player – is going to make my roster anyway. So I'm just going to go get the physical freak that can essentially tackle a house and knock it down, and I'm not going to worry about anything else. 
He's just going to be an athletic marvel. But for some reason, whether it's classroom, off-field trouble, whatever, he wasn't able to produce on a collegiate level. I, I'll say this, and I'll, I'll, I'll share an anecdote uh, to, to back it up a little bit. I, do you remember Ross Cockrell? Yes. Duke cornerback. Um, good build, good athleticism, solid player. I spoke with him after he was uh, released after a season in Buffalo. They had a coaching change. Uh, he was drafted to, to play in a different system than what they were going to run. They let him go. Um, the Steelers signed him after he cleared waivers. And I remember um, evaluating him uh, when, when he was draft eligible, thinking he looks like a Steelers cornerback. This is a pretty good player. I could see them drafting him. The question is where? When I, I spoke to him, I think the second or third day that he was there, and there was nobody else around, um, it, it just, you know, call me a fan. I wanted to talk to him. I was curious uh, just about who he was. I wanted to, to write something on him. Um, when I was speaking to him, he was refreshingly honest, um, probably too young to know that I'm a vulture in the media and I'm just going to make him look bad. But he, he, was, he was a good kid. I, I really enjoyed the conversation with him. And one of the things that he told me that was really revealing was he looked at me kind of wide-eyed. He's like, you know what? I thought the Steelers were going to draft me in the first round. They talked to me all the time. Everywhere I was, there was a Steelers representative. And they really liked me until the end of the process, just because they, they I, I wanted to be humble. I, I wanted to you know, present myself in a professional way. But they were giving me so much attention. I, I was just curious. I said, are you, you know, it, I, I hope you guys are looking to draft me. I'm, I'm curious where you think I'd be drafted. And he said, the scout looked at him and said, we've definitely got you as a fourth rounder. And Ross said, he was just like, you spend this much time talking to a fourth round prospect. Wow. It, wow. it goes to show the idea here is they have a philosophy. That philosophy is player agnostic. What they're doing is evaluating the traits of the player. And based on their organizational philosophy, these traits mean first round, second round, third round, fourth round, whatever that is. You can be a great fourth round prospect, and they're not going to take you in the third round because you rate as a fourth round prospect. That's sticking to the process. Right. So when it comes to the later rounds, they have guys that they have grades on. So think of that as another bucket. When they evaluate players, again, get this term into your head. Player agnostic, okay? They're not saying, I'm producing this rank for this player because he's QB2 or whatever that, that nonsense is. It doesn't matter where the player stands compared to the rest of the draft. What matters is what uh, characteristics he has. Based on that, that's how an organization determines the round in which he's going to be drafted. He has to fit the mold of a player in that round. That's also why you see players that that go in the second round when another team has them in the fifth. Well, we, we had a fifth round grade on him. It's not because he's worse than 12 other players that are on the list. It's that he has a certain way about him, whatever that happens to be, that doesn't fit in with this team's philosophy for a second round pick for that position. So a lot of things that go into it. So Ross Cockrell, they felt, the Steelers felt, was a great, I, I screwed up earlier. I meant he was a third round uh, draft pick, not a fourth, because I, I believe the Bills took him in the third a couple picks ahead of the Steelers. 
So the Steelers jumped on him the second that he was available. At that point, it doesn't make a difference what, what round you have him graded on. He's a player that they wanted. And Cockrell, you know, complained about him as much as he wanted. He turned out to be all right. He wasn't terrible. He's still in the league. I don't know if you know that or not. Ross Cockrell still gets played. Gets paid. He's with the Bills, right? He's, and, he's... Uh, with the box. He just picked up a ring. Okay. And good for him. Like I said, I, I'm, I'm a fan of him just because he's, he's a good kid. I think he, he, uh, he made himself into a pretty good pro. You can see why he stuck around as long as he did. Um, let, let's tease this. I, I love your example. Let, let, let's let's peel it back a little bit more. If I'm not mistaken, I, I just looked it up while you were talking. Ross Cockrell was drafted in 2014. In that 2014 draft, the Steelers selected first round Ryan Shazier, Stephon Tuitt, Dre Archer in the third, Martavius Bryant, or Martavis, excuse me, in 2014, Shaq Richardson in the fifth round. Now you're saying that Ross was a third round pick that year, or or they thought he was a third round pick. They graded him as a third round pick. He was drafted in the third round by the Bills, I, I believe, a couple picks ahead of where the Steelers were in that third round. Now, in looking at Ross Cockrell from Duke that year, famously they selected Dre Archer, your most favorite Steeler draft pick in the last ten years, in the third round, and they had. Cockerel with the third round grade. How does that happen? Is 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 it is it that possibly Dre Archer's athletic scores his spark? Like how you know, in looking at the process, how do they pick a Dre Archer at a position of corner from a bigger school? How do they pick? How do they? How do they miss on? I'm not going to say miss, but how do they pick Dre Archer when we're looking at the you know the importance of athleticism and so on and so forth? Would it have been Dre Archer's level of athleticism was so different from Ross Cockrell? Like how did? What's your thought on that? I'll I'll, I'll call it a miss if you won't. But um, it, it, honestly, and here's here's to tie all this together. Guess where Dre Archer was in Spark that year. I'm going to guess Dre Archer was probably – I'm going to use the RAS because it's a 10. Okay. It's a 10 score. I'm going to guess that Dre Archer was probably 9.97. I I have not seen it on RAS, but, yes, it was somewhere up there. Dre it was Archer, ridiculous. Dre Archer yeah. was a phenomenal athlete. And as I, I think most people, most Steelers fans will be familiar with the fact that Dre Archer might have been the best – flag football player you've ever seen. I mean, if, 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 if they put him out there, or if he was like a tennis player or something, he probably would have been extraordinary. Um, not a, a contact-laden football player, uh, as it were. He just, you know, wasn't tough enough to play. I, I don't think he didn't play very tough. Not a big guy at all. One of the smallest adults I've ever seen. Um, but the guy was a phenomenal athlete. I, he jumped like a frog. I think his his broad jump was insane. His vertical jump was over forty. Uh, he ran a four two eight or something like that. An incredibly explosive athlete. Twenty fourteen again. I I feel that's the year the Steelers implemented some type of athletic measurement because uh, you know who else dominated in in Spark? Shaquille Richardson, who didn't. I don't think he even made the team. Uh, Martavis Bryant. Stefan Tuitt's data was incomplete, but I think he might have been a little bit different because he, he was a prototypical five technique in, in the Steelers defense. He was doing a lot of what the Steelers already were, a great second round pick. 
I don't think he was necessarily the greatest athlete coming out, but he would have been okay. Uh, when you have Archer, though, who wasn't far below Shazier, if I recall correctly, and Shazier was top three, I think, in in, uh, in, in that in his draft class. They went after athletes. Anthony Ciccolo came from that draft. Believe it or not, he was a, a pretty highly rated uh, athlete coming out. So you, you put all those things together, you, you see the composite score being a, a significant priority. So I think it's safe to assume that the Steelers scouted more than one guy that they gave a third round grade on. And when you narrow all of it down, you can see that, it, it, you know, for the sake of simplicity, maybe it was Archer versus Cockrell. Maybe that that's the, right. the situation. Um, I'm using that hypothetically. I, again, I, I'm pretty sure Cockrell was off the board by the, ha- by the time they had that pick. But the idea of comparing one versus the other, uh, the athleticism, you know, serves as a pretty good tiebreaker. If it's, you know, a, a, a large difference, between them. I don't know what Cockrell was. Maybe that's something we can look up here, but it, it's, uh, it, you couldn't say that Dre Archer was not basically a superior athlete than all, but maybe 15 players in that draft. He just was. Um, it, it does show though, to be fair, there's a downside to that mentality. He's a great athlete. Can he play football? No, <laughs> he really couldn't. Right. Uh, right. He didn't even seem to have the desire to play football. So there, there is, internal conflict that comes as well. You can almost feel it. I'll share this as well. And I, I, I don't know how much of this I should even say, but um, I've heard this story from multiple people in the media. Uh, when Dre Archer was selected, the PR staff in the draft room, I wasn't there. The PR staff in the draft room handed out cards that said Martavis Bryant was their third round pick. They didn't take him. They took <laughs> Dre Archer. So clearly there was an idea that, uh, Martavis Bryant was still there. They still wanted to take him. There was some conflict, and that happens. Again, it's not one right. person making the decision. You have an entire room full of people. They're competitive. They want to be right. They feel that they are. They want what's best for the team. They're going to go back and forth. So whatever the reason was that they took Dre Archer, and I'm not saying that you know Martavis Bryant did great stuff in 14 games, which is 14 games more than, than uh, Dre Archer had, and he clearly was the better pick of the two, but it's not like Bryant was, you know, lost or anything like that. Clearly there was an issue um, with him with several teams and his career played out that way. Um, I'll, I'll point out as well, just to pat myself on the back. I called Martavis Bryant. I, I wrote about him in November when I was watching um, Taj Boyd and Sammy Watkins at Clemson. Uh, Brian had a big game that game and it was like, wow, this kid, he's big, he's fluid. He runs like a deer. Uh, he had some character concerns. There was some effort issues. Uh, I remember hearing about, you could see why he might've fallen a little bit, but I wrote before that draft, I walked into it wanting to watch Taj Boyd and really in particular, Sammy Watkins. You might remember the Steelers starting Owen uh, four that season. It looked right. like they were in route for a top 10 pick. Uh, I went in wanting to watch these guys, and I walked away talking about Martavis Bryant. And I'll bet right. Kevin Colbert did as well. He was there that day. That's why I watched those players. Um, they they had an eye on Martavis Bryant, and it looked like for a little bit they might have gotten the steal of the draft. And he, he's a fourth-round pick, not because he's not a great athlete or not a good football player or anything like that. It's that other things happen to come up. And if there was internal conflict um, within the Steelers' own war room over who to take, the communication was such the PR staff was told they took a different guy and they ended up taking right. that guy in the fourth round. So <laughs> right. you, you can see where these things come up. It's not perfect. There is a human right. element involved. It's not completely scientific. Some guys are going to want their guys and whoever it is that wanted to Archer, um, 
you know, I, I don't know, but that, that's why they took him in the third round. Um, they, they felt they had an opportunity to take a, a, an explosive player and make something out of him. Didn't really work out that way, but uh, not all of them do. Wait, these two. And I love the way we're breaking this down because as we're doing it, I think we're teasing it out as to what are the important elements when it comes to this, when the Steelers are using these different components in this sort of algorithm that we're creating when they pick a player. When it comes to position and age in school, kind of rank those three as to which one is more important than the other. And I, and I love the way we're doing it because I think they probably have conflicts because you will get similar spark or RAS scores. And so that becomes neutralized. And then there are these other components that I'm sure that they are weighing in and waiting when it comes to making the difference between a pick, because these are all superior athletes for the most part, they're better than 99% of the world. So these guys are really good. So it's the measurement between really good athletes. And I'm sure that a lot of them are going to be pretty similar unless the Steelers are really breaking it down in terms of is a 9.9 really different from a 9.8 or a 9.7. If this, it, I'm sure they probably are breaking it down within a high ranking what the difference is. But in terms of weighing these factors, Give me your thoughts in terms of what's the most important between position and age. I think position is more of a rank and age is more of a qualifier. Okay. What I mean by that is the combination, the right combination can exist, but I think, and this only makes sense to me, uh, teams have priorities on positions that are consistent, that are flat. The one thing we know about the Kevin Colbert era is that there was a long period of time, the only position, well, two two positions, I'll give him this, two positions he ruled out for a, a, a several-year period of a, as far as who they would look to take in the first round was quarterback and tight end. Um, tight end always seemed kind of, you know, they, they're happy with Heath Miller, they like the player that they have. Um, it, not the second best player on the team, but the quarterback certainly was. They weren't going to invest a, a high draft pick in either one of those positions. That shows it's more position-based than player-based, player agnostic. They're not looking right. immediately right. at the players who are available and then deciding their priorities. They're looking at the position first. So with that, um, I think there are immediate needs and I think there are organizational kind of philosophies, if you will. The Steelers are clearly an organization that emphasizes their linebackers and their center, whatever reason that is. Um, they are not, it, it's far, this is as far as first round picks go. Let me, let me pause you. Let me pause you before you mm -hmm. continue on that point. I'm going to give you my thought on why they emphasize center and linebacker is being able to control the center of the field. Um, and if, if you can control the center of the field, you can, you can control the edges. Um, and it, and it's similar to, you know, if you think about, you know, basketball, if you can control the post soccer, if you're dominant with inside the 18 baseball, if you're built strong up the middle, you know, your battery, your shortstop, second base center field, if you could control the middle of the field in most sports, you can control all the field, but go ahead and continue Neil. 
Yeah, in those lines, though, that that's the right line of thinking. That's a philosophy. They're saying this is what we want to do. They're not saying let's draft a center and now focus on the center of the field. The the, the philosophy part of it comes first. So right. we've seen with the Steelers, go back to Dawson being taken in the second round, the free agent acquisition of Jeff Hardings, who I believe was a first-round pick at one point in his career. I think he was for the Lions, I believe. They, they paid two kind of bum centers – didn't work out very well, but they're, they're free agent acquisitions for a team that did not sign starting players in free agency very often. Clearly, they, they put an emphasis on it. And then they drafted Pouncey 18th overall, a 20-year-old with beyond prototypical size for a center. Great athleticism. They focused on the center. And they got what? How long did they get out of Pouncey? 11 years? 11, 11 seasons. Years. Of, 11 years of run out of that guy. Probably about nine and a half. Like yeah, I guess with, with because injuries. He, yeah, he had some injuries. But they got rock solid to the point where there are many people that I know, um, you know, I won't mention any names, that think that Pouncey is absolutely a Hall of Famer. And, and, and think Pouncey, you know, is, you know, one of those guys is a no-brainer Hall of Famer. But anyway, go ahead, Neil. Yeah, that, that's another show topic we'll have to do sometime. Uh, future Steelers Hall of Famers. I, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I, Pouncey's a good player. He's not a, a phenomenal player. He, is he Dermani Dawson? No, he was not Dermani Dawson. Uh, we'll, no, we'll talk, nobody can tell me that. We'll, we'll so, talk a little bit off air. We'll talk off air. We'll yeah. share, maybe we'll share this on, as a show at, at some point. Listen, we should. We should. This is always a fun topic. But it, as far as the priorities go, um, it, they drafted. You know, the the Jarvis mistake was 2013. They took Shazier in 14. Then they went back to outside linebacker in 15. And then uh, Watt in 17. They've stacked up linebackers. They're looking clearly to own that middle and that center, um, the, the, the middle and the center position on the field. They want to get edge rushers and they want to be able to cover the flats and, and push things back into their, their deeper secondary. Those are the types of players they want to draft. Devin Bush came later on. They drafted Shazier, obviously. They're looking to add those types of players. So right now, um, you're looking at Alex Highsmith, who I thought did a phenomenal job last season, a third-round pick um, in kind of an odd year. Maybe if, if there was more in-person stuff, Highsmith might have gone a little bit higher. Um, also interesting of note, Highsmith, not a great athlete, uh, more of a, a, a technical guy, but he gets the job done. I would, I would ask this, though. You've got T.J. Watt. You're about to spend, if you're able to sign T.J. Watt, that's by no means a guarantee, by the way. Uh, Watt is going to be asking for high-level quarterback money, and somebody's going to give it to him if it's not Pittsburgh. He absolutely will get tagged next year. I, I'd almost bet on that. I'll guarantee it. Um, bet your house on it. Bet your yeah, house on it. He's, he's going to look at Joey Bosa's contract and then realize that that TJ Watt is in all measurements a better player at this point in his career than Joey Bosa is. And Bosa's contract is a high-level quarterback. Watt's going to be – he's going to get paid. And Bosa's a monster. Yeah, yeah. He's a good player. There's no doubt. But um, if, if you are looking to invest that much cash into a defensive player – to this point, you're not Kevin Colbert. He's never done that. You're talking literally, it, uh, his contract's going to be twice as big as a contract they've ever given to a defensive player. Now, it's weird to say that because they draft in the first round uh, on defense as often as they do, but they don't keep those guys. So I don't know what they're going to do with Watt. I don't necessarily think outside linebackers off the board this year. That could be a priority for them because if you look three years down the line, when they don't have control, realistic control over tj watt unless you're prepared to tag him for a second time which at the outside linebacker position is by that point 
he's going to get Patrick Mahomes money. I mean, that's, that's insane. Uh, you're better off trading him if you're going to do that. But I could see them investing in that position. I could see them investing in inside linebacker as well. I like Devin Bush. I love the idea of TJ Watt, Devin Bush, um, uh, a variety of different players. The one kid from Notre Dame, um, uh, uh, I forget his name off the top of my head. Um, the, the the kid from um, Tulsa, you, you have high-level inside linebackers who are probably going to be there at 24. Put him next to Devin Bush and flank them with Highsmith and Watt. That's a foundation for a defense. You're going to be able to do a lot of damage with that. And me pa- to me, me, it makes sense. You. Let me pause you, Neil. So I, I think from what you said, I, I'm discerning that in terms of our weighting, we're going number one, spark RAS athleticism. Bam. That puts you in the big pool. If you're not athletic, you don't even get invited to the party. If you're not at least an eight and a half, you're not getting the invite. You know, if you're a seven, we love your personality, but no thanks. You can, there's another party down the street. Next is, is age. No, excuse me. Next is position. If you play a certain position in terms of a first rounder, you're not probably going to get invited as well, regardless of your athleticism. You're just not going to get invited. Like we said, quarterback, like we said, tight end. There are probably a couple other positions where you're just not going to get drafted. If you are a superior athlete and you play the right position, you're going to be in the mix. And I think what you said earlier is about age is that the significance of age and further explain is that if you get the younger player, when it comes to extension time, you can extend him and have him longer in his prime as that type of guy. So so quickly talk about the importance of age. And does school matter at all in any of this? I think age is important as a benefit, as a plus, more so than a minus. But I don't think it's a coincidence they haven't taken a guy – at that 23-year-old age mark in the first round, and I, I don't know how long. Um, it might have been <laughs> might have been Jarvis again. I'm not sure. He, <laughs> Jarvis is kind of the Mendoza line of the draft. I mean, a lot of things went wrong with, with how that process worked out. But that proves even more the value of these types of philosophical decisions. They're taking younger players for obvious reasons. They want to be able to coach them up and get them for longer at their best. They want to take a first-round pick to be able to invest in them. They've picked up most fifth-year options to this point. Not all of them, most of them. They've extended most of them. Not all of them, but most of them. Um, Getting that player on an extension when he's 25 is fantastic versus when he's 28, you know. He's he's an old football player at that point, regardless of how many years he's played. I don't buy the miles on his tire bit. You're old, you're old. There's a world of difference physically between 28 and 23, and that's not when you're getting hit for a living. So they want the younger player. I think that's more of a tiebreaker, though. I don't think they're filtering out uh, 23-year-olds. They're just not drafting them. That is going to eventually knock their stock down uh, to a point where that, that's not the guy they're going to take. Position uh, seems like it's more important. Now, this is the tough thing uh, as, as far as the fan opinion goes. Our opinion, our take on what the Steelers' biggest need is positionally is not guaranteed to be the same as the Steelers. Some years it seems pretty obvious. I don't think in any year 
no years are they targeting one position and one position only. I don't think any team is wise to do that. I think, again, you have to remain player agnostic until it's time to select the player and put his name on the card. You have to say, this is a position of need. This is an athletic, you know, he's fitting into the high athletic bucket at a position of need. He's the right age. And they seem to like the power five guys. He checks all those boxes. He's in consideration at the end. Let me let me From give there, you Jar- let me be- give you Jar- let me pause you real quick. Let me give you Jarvis's age since we're picking on Jarvis here. 2013 Jarvis was 24. Oh my. So That's, when he was yeah. with the Steelers he was 24, 25, 26 and 27. And by the way Jarvis has a grand total of 17 quarterback hits for his career and he has a grand total of 6 sacks. But go six, ahead and continue. This is even high. It's a good thing Joey Porter worked with him all those years. That was a that was a match made in heaven. That worked out really well for everybody. <laughs> dark, dark period of Steelers football. Um, the, the idea of the school, I think, is more that they want to have been able to see that player against high-level competition. Right. Now, again, I'm talking about the first round. They've, they've drafted players from small schools. Hell, I mean, all of their undrafted free agents seem to come from the MAC. They're they're close players that they've evaluated probably uh, at a pretty high level. They're not going to draft those players. That doesn't mean they're not going to look at them at all. But in the first round, they want premium guys. I, I think that's the the part that factors in perhaps the least. But I don't think it's a coincidence. It's been that long since they've taken um, a, a, a non-Power 5 guy. This is the time. Keep in mind, you remember when Steve McNair was, was eligible for the draft? Yes. That was all. That, that was the biggest news story of all time. This minuscule, tiny, nothing division of football is producing this high-level guy. Trey Lance is about to get drafted third overall after one season at that level. That level of football, and with it, what you would call in basketball, the mid-major kinds of schools, MAC players, they're getting way better. They're far better than they used to be, and they're getting a lot more attention. The fact that the Steelers haven't found one in that time to draft, and I'm not saying that they've made mistakes, it's just it seems odd that they would not have found one to take if they aren't intentionally doing that. So for me, I feel like that's a factor. But Interesting athleticism note. Me, and position are ultimately the, the two things they're looking at the most. As we round this out, here are the things. We're, we're going to weight them this way because we're going to scratch out production because production in college is arbitrary. Like it's it's whatever because uh, it's college football. It doesn't necessarily translate to the pros. I think there was a time they liked that. I don't think that's the case anymore. Let me give you a quick anecdote um, about the SWAC. So Alcorn State is in the SWAC. The SWAC has produced, I'm going to guess, maybe 10 Hall of Famers. Um, And I think there was a time, like in the 70s, the Steelers went to the SWAC all the time. Close family friend, and and, and just share this real quick. Bill Nunn Sr. Uh, is a family friend of mine. Uh, my dad's best friend was Bill Nunn Jr., And so, you know, my dad knows the nuns. We've been knowing the nuns for years. And so, um, you know, he was the editor of the Pittsburgh Courier and he came up with the um, I think it was the black, the the black college football Hall of Fame list. And of course, you know, that relationship, you know, he has the bench, the memorial um, was Bill. He was just and Bill Nunn was just elected to the Hall of Fame for his contribution. He is getting inducted finally 
in August, which in my opinion is the greatest travesty of the Hall of Fame for the last 20 years, if not longer. Finally getting into the Hall of Fame. Well-deserved. And his contributions to the Steelers are historic. You know, he's part of all of that link between the Steelers, SWAC football. He is that link. He is that link. And the Steelers are the ones that would say that. He absolutely was that link. The thing that has changed is that a lot of those players that were going through the SWAC are now going to Alabama, are now going to Georgia, are now going to Power 5 schools because in that particular time, they were not allowed and could not go to power five school. So that's changed. So as we go through these, and I want to ask a question that, you know, one of the listeners asked last week, and we were going to touch on uh, before we conclude the show. So here are the, here are the four components. We're going to scratch away production. We think that's arbitrary. And it's funny how they came out um, in, in this list. And we're going to rank them like this athleticism, position and age school is, is also uh, a component, but not as important as those four. Right. I, I think school eventually will be questioned because they're going to run into a situation where it, very easily the best guy that they have rated and everything else went to one of those schools. Would, would you not right. have taken Khalil Mack where any, any draft the Steelers were yes, in? Yes, exactly. You know, it, they're exactly. they're going to run into that eventually. I think school is, is on its way down. So let's, let's, let's jump into the question that a listener had. Uh, I think it was from from my boy Cal Rhodes. He asked the question, or it might have just been ours. Why are the Steelers so good at selecting wide receivers, but not very good at drafting corners? Simply put, I think corner is far harder to evaluate, and I think it's far harder to develop. I think cornerback mm-hmm. is uh, the second most brutal mental position on the field quarterback being the first. And I think it's the most of, of, of any position. It's the most susceptible to damage. Absolutely. You run a ton as a cornerback, you know, they, they, they track them nowadays. There are guys in training camp that end up running nine, 10 miles of, of sprints throughout the course of practice. Um, one rolled ankle, one hamstring pop, you, you are, you're not effective anymore. And you, I don't, I don't believe you can play the cornerback position anything less than 95%. You can go out there, but you're exposed and they're going to find you very, very quickly. You give up big play after big play. You're on the bench. Your confidence is shot. it's all it's feast or famine as a cornerback. You know, it just kind of seems like you're either great or you're terrible. It's a really, really difficult position to play. Also, I understand again that the Steelers have had difficulties drafting and developing cornerbacks. I'm not sure how rare that is across the league. I, I don't feel like that's that's an unknown phenomenon to any other team. I don't feel there's a team that does with cornerbacks what the Steelers do with receivers. So yeah, that's true. Flip into receivers now. The Steelers have a much more scientific approach to that, and you can see it. Uh, Deontay Johnson is a great example of this. I, I did not know who Deontay Johnson was before they drafted him. When they drafted him, I watched his film, and the only thing I walked away from that thinking is that guy is so much a Steelers receiver, it's not even funny. He's balanced. He's got great vision. He sees the field. He knows how to work in zone. 
He is a functional athlete, meaning he's not going to test, you know, he's not going to blow anybody out of the gym with, with how he runs, um, you know, in spandex. But on the field, he's efficient. He knows how to use his body. You look at all the receivers, to some degree, they're like that. Some are, are blazing fast or phenomenal athletes like we've seen. But by and large, they're very fluid athletes. They can identify guys that are going to be able to run good routes. They have yeah. the, the corner market of, of that. In my opinion, this is just me. Um, please, if you're a scout and you're watching this, please tell us you know, how, how stupid we are in suggesting this. What I see when I look at the, the players in college that the Steelers end up drafting is balance. They all look just in, incredibly fluid in how they move. They're, they're graceful. Uh, they're deceiving athletes. They, they are moving a lot faster than it seems like they're moving. They can separate. And Deontay Johnson's a great example of that. Again, a guy that measurement-wise, athleticism, probably not going to rate higher than a third-round pick. You know, that this is the type of athlete we want to draft in the third round. But you watch him on the field, we can develop him to do a lot. And clearly, he's a priority in their offense. How many targets did he get last year? Even the, the stretch of time where he forgot how to catch the ball, they're still throwing him the ball 10 times a game. You know, they, they believe in him because he's good. He is a, a very good NFL receiver. Um, he, he had kind of a down year, I think, a lot of pressure on him, a lot of expectations on him. He's going to rebound. He's going to be really good because he fits the mold of what they want to do uh, out of that X receiver position. And I, he's he's going to be a good, a, a good player. He's going to have a bounce back year. Um, pretty much all the other receivers they draft have kind of that in common, at least they know what they're looking at. They know how to identify it and they certainly know how to develop it. So uh, to me that, and this is not to denigrate the, the, the phenomenal job better than anybody else in the league. I'd even argue they're better at developing receivers than any other team is, is at developing any other position. They're you're you're absolutely right. You're absolutely and right. Not, not to downgrade that at all. But I think when you know what you want, and nobody else does, it's pretty easy to draft guys. So the, the same reason Joey Porter was a third-round pick in, in uh, 1999, and, and then that turned into Jarvis Jones being, a, a, what, the 17th overall pick in 2013. Every other team eventually caught up to what the Steelers were doing, but they had the market because they knew exactly what they wanted to do with it. So it's not that it's yeah. easier. It's that they know how to identify what they need. I don't know if anybody really has a good sense of what they need in a cornerback. I just think cornerbacks don't – they're they're vastly different play to play. It, it's really hard to be a cornerback in the NFL, and you have to tip your cap to the guys that are doing it. But when you see Trey Waynes going for $45 million over three years – Teams want average cornerbacks because average cornerbacks are really are good, good nowadays. Yeah, 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 exactly. So it, it's it's not easy to play the position. It's even harder to develop a guy to, to play the position. And you see it throughout the board. Every team that has a good cornerback, uh, it probably – he could have gotten him the fifth overall pick straight through to the sixth round. It's so varied. It's like the running back in that way. So well, yeah. I wouldn't bash him for it, but I, I definitely think – They've probably missed a little bit more often than, than other teams have, but um, it, it's tough. It's a really hard position to 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 establish long term value with. It's interesting that you say that. And before we conclude the show, I'm just I just want to add that you know, and me and my brother go back and forth because he's a Patriot fan. He's just extremely frustrated with the Patriots. Sorry, listeners, that I'm mentioning that team up north. <laughs> uh, that he's extremely frustrated that they can't identify wide receivers. And and my explanation to him is just 
you know, it's just a combination of guys in the building. I mean, some guys, they have a, the Steelers have a feel for the position, what they need. They've hit on it several times, so they know that the philosophy is sound and it works. You know, I said, look, the Patriots have been more successful in drafting guys in the secondary. I mean, they've developed corners better. They've drafted corner corners better. So maybe it's something that Belichick, with his eye and his staff, they have an eye to it that's better than the Steelers have when it comes to secondary people and vice versa with wide receivers. It's, it's you know, it's a nuanced thing as well. You kind of – that you know the Steelers have 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 you know over time developed like you said that profile and what they're looking for. So before we get out of here, Neil, is there anything you want to tease for this week on SteelersWire.com? Anything you want listeners to look out for? Um, just draft stuff. We're gonna keep doing it. Um, yeah, this is the best time of the year. You got you gotta love this. We jokingly say this is our Super Bowl. You know, it's <laughs> the actual Super Bowl might not be coming to Pittsburgh this year. I don't think at least. Um, we have a lot of fun with the draft. Um, I, I, I'm I'm hoping for another fun one this year. So thank you, Steeler fans, for checking out the show, The New Standard. And again, we're going to have a fantastic show for you again next Sunday. Make sure you're checking out the show. Thank you for everybody who has subscribed to the show. The descriptions are slowly climbing. And just thank you for tuning in. We're going to keep giving you great content. And as always, go Steelers. And thank you. <laughs>